0: Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to Overcast, the Chocolate Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you the latest insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. Ensuring lambs receive adequate colostrum is vital to get them off to the best possible start. Making sure you always have adequate supplies is the starting point for this. We're joined by Professor Tommy Boland to discuss this in more detail in a two-part special. In this first part, we focus on the factors that influence colostrum production in the ewe. We discuss how and when production starts, and the quantity EO needs to produce, with Tommy explaining how various nutrition factors have an impact on the quality and quantity of colostrum EO produces. We discussed the effects of body condition score, age and breed have on colostrum production. Tommy also explains the reason for poor work that down in some EO's post salmon. Finally, we finish up discussing the importance of getting management right, not only to ensure adequate colostrum production, but also to set the EO up for early lactation. We start off, however, with how we explain the various functions of colostrum.
1: Yeah, Karen, colostrum production and, and colostrum consumption by the lamb, I think it's one of the key aspects of a successful lambing outcome, but also the success setting up your flock for success um, for the rest of the year, really. And I think that's sometimes under, understated or under investigated. If we look at what colostrum is, colostrum is is the first milk uh, produced by, by the yo after she gives birth. And it's a number of really important functions in the lamb. First of all, if we think of you know that that colostrum it's a really rich energy source for the lamb, and when, when the lamb is born, it's it's it needs to generate heat quickly, and if it doesn't generate that heat, it won't survive. And colostrum provides the fuel and the energy to allow it to generate the heat. It's also essential to support the health of the lamb and the immune system of the lamb. Again. When the lamb is born, it has no immunity to any disease it faces in the environment into which it's born into, and the only way it can acquire that immunity is through the consumption of the colostrum. And the colostrum contains the antibodies or the protective agents that will help that lamb to fight off the disease-causing agents in the environment. Number three, then, and again, this is a really important function. That colostrum serves to kind of get the activity of the gut and the intestine going and to remove that, that debris or that meconium or that first species that the lamb produces uh, from the intestines. Again, it's really important to get that substance or get that, that dung out of the intestine because if it remains in place for too long, it can cause infection to develop. And then uh, the fourth important function, or another important function, is that. The yo having colostrum present and the lamb soaking that colostrum, it's really important to allow that bond to develop between the yew and the lamb, which will, you know, set up that lamb for survival once your animals are turned out or if they're born in an outdoor environment, that it gets them to bond straight away.
0: Like to start with the basics, when does colostrum production start in yo? So we're feeding yews in late pregnancy. When does the colostrum production kick in?
1: Yeah, colostrum production is something that starts, you know, in the last month of pregnancy really here. Now. And it's not something that just starts the day before the o lambs, um, you know, for leaving it till that point to try to do something about it. We've, we've left it too late. So the mammary gland, the, the elder will, will really start to develop. And, and we see this as springing up in the last, uh, you know, three to four weeks of pregnancy before the o lambs. And during that window, the actual nutrients that are present in colostrum, they start moving in to the mammary gland or start moving into the elder from, from the ozone circulation. So it's the last three and four weeks, that's when when colostrum production um, begins uh, to take place in in the ewe. So that's when we really need to target our nutrition so that we have the opportunity to to provide the ewe with the nutrients that she requires for that colostrum production. So there's enough there when the
0: ewe lamb's down. Just speaking about enough there, perhaps no harm just to re-emphasize again the quantity of colostrum that that ewe needs to produce. Yeah, of course,
1: and that's that's really important. For, from our work in, in 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 lines over the years, we would have seen that for each lamb the ewe produces, she'll need about a liter of colostrum over the first twenty four hours of life. So, if she's given birth to a single, she'll need to produce one liter. If she's given birth to twins, you're looking at two liters, and obviously triplets, you're looking at at the in around the three liter mark. So it's you know it's it's a substantial energy and nutrient output by the
0: it's probably something we very we underestimate quite a lot and we'll probably come back to it in the latter half of the podcast when we talk with the lambs look at quantity is one thing quality is the other and here's where nutrition has a big impact on it why does it matter so much tommy and how does nutrition or that ration we use in their pregnancy influence the quality of the glostrum we produce
1: yeah and this is a, I suppose this is a really a really detailed question kieran and we could have a whole podcast on that question just by itself. But if you look at what colostrum is in the first place, colostrum is a really nutrient-dense uh, substance. It's full of energy, it's full of fat, and it's full of proteins or, or, or amino acids. And all of those are, they're, they're nutrients that need to be supplied by the diet. And if they're not supplied by the diet, unfortunately, the O is going to attempt to use our own body reserves to supply those, to supply those components into colostrum. So The first thing you look at is energy. The energy requirements of the O will increase by about, about 80 to 100 percent as she goes from mid pregnancy into late pregnancy. And if we're looking at our indoor housing systems, you know, we're looking at supplying concentrate supplementation to the O in late gestation to actually meet that energy requirement. The, the vast, vast majority of our silages won't do it for, for single, single bearing O's, and, and, and they certainly won't do it for twin bearing O's. So we need to look at feeding a concentrate in late pregnancy that has high quality energy containing ingredients and at the moment the best ingredients we have there are are the cereal grains barley and 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 wheat and maize. if we don't supply that energy through the concentrate feeding then the yo is going to utilize her own energy reserves or the fat she has on her back to, to try and make up the deficit and you know, my opinion at this stage is that we really need to keep that energy reserve for the old ingestation so that she can actually use that energy reserve to produce milk, to feed our lamb, our lambs in the first, you know, five, six, seven, eight weeks of life. Cause that's the, that's the energy part of the, of the, of the conundrum. Protein then is the secondary um, or not secondary, but protein is the second nutrient we need to be really conscious of. And with protein, What we see, again, is that the the requirements in the yo's diet, again, they're they're pretty much double as we go from mid-pregnancy into late pregnancy. So we normally talk about, you know, offering yo's between 180 to 200 grams of crude protein uh, per day. The reason why the crude protein requirement is so high in late pregnancy is... A, the lamb is growing in utero or in, in in the lamb bed, and that requires you know amino acids and proteins because the lamb is developing muscle and, and the various tissues in its body. But also, colostrum has an exceptionally high protein content itself. The protein content of colostrum is about 20% uh, that, that first colostrum the yolk produces. So we need to supply that protein in the diet to allow that colostrum to develop and to concentrate uh, those proteins which are actually, in many cases, the disease preventing agents present in the colostrum. It's not just total protein that we're concerned about. We're also, we need to focus on this type, particular type of protein, which is called rumen bypass protein. And without getting too technical on it, these are amino acids, which are present in the diet, uh, normally in the concentrate portion of the diet, which are not digested in the rumen, but the pass straight through the rumen without being broken down, and they become available for usage by the o in the small intestine. And it's those bypass proteins which are really, really important in the, in the production of the colostrum and supporting that colostrum production. And if, if we're looking at ingredients that, that offer good sources of that bypass protein, uh, soybean meal is probably the best one we have currently available on the market.
0: It's one time a year where you really have to invest in what we're feeding. Look, you touched on this already. There are other factors that influence colostrum production. So the nutrition is the major end of it. You mentioned condition. Has that an impact on colostrum production? Yes, it does. Um, and particularly in, in
1: situations uh, where the yo is over-conditioned. So and, and it's it's probably something that, that, that is overlooked. You know, we would see our, our optimum levels of colostrum production taking place when the when yo is in that body condition score of, of 3 uh, to, to 3.5. Once you go above that range, what happens when when the yo is is being overfed, and she's laying down fat? Not only does she lay down fat, you know, the subcutaneous fat or the fat along the back that, that we see and we feel when we body condition score but fatty tissue is also laid down in the in the in the in the elder or in the mammary gland, and it's laid down in the liver. And the lay down or the deposition of fat in the mammary gland means that there there are less, I suppose cells there to produce colostrum and to concentrate the antibody so your colostrum production is impacted from that perspective and also when the fat is laid down in the liver that can have an impact of basically reducing the functionality of the yo in total the liver is is like the engine which powers the animal if that liver is not working to its optimum the output by the animal is going to be reduced and one of the ways we see that with the yo in late pregnancy is that she is slower to come to her milk. So you, you look at this yo know, when she's in good condition, you say, oh, that yo has been well-fed and she should have lots of milk or lots of colostrum. And actually what you see in a lot of cases is that the yo has very little or no colostrum produced at the, at the time she needs it, so straight after she gives birth. So with the condition score, I'd be more concerned about yo being over-conditioned in, in late pregnancy rather than has being a little bit under-conditioned in late pregnancy because you can... If you feed that thin yo to her, to her actual requirements, that will go a long way to supporting colostrum production.
0: Um, probably two ends of that. We'll just tease out a bit more. I'll come back to the over conditioning in a moment. But that thin yo Tommy, is probably a misconception too that we can put condition on them in late pregnancy. They will partition that energy that they've been fed if we meet the requirements more towards the lamb and lactation.
1: Yeah, so the yo in late, the yo in late pregnancy, she, she's conditioned to prioritise lamb production uh, so the, the development of a, of a lamb and the production of colostrum um, and really that it's like late, late late pregnancy is a window where we really have to be on top of it because it's very hard to solve problems in late pregnancy if we allow problems to develop. And, you know, there's a lot of data going back. 20, 30, 40, 50 years that we show, we can modify lamb birth weight to some extent by manipulating uh, feeding and feed levels in, in late pregnancy. But it's probably not as much as, as, as we can think. But at the same time, it's also very difficult to get that tin yo to lay on a, a lot of condition in late pregnancy because she's physiologically programmed to, to, to support the lamb and to support colostrum production. But what I would be, be looking at with those under-conditioned yos in late pregnancy here is to feed them to, 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 to the requirements that they have so that we're not mobilizing any more of that body condition in late pregnancy. And really, when we use that body condition in late pregnancy, um, we don't have it or the yos doesn't have it there to utilize to support the lamb in early lactation. And the ewes require in early lactation are almost double what they are in late pregnancy. So it's a, it's a much more valuable resource to utilise in early lactation as opposed to utilising it in late pregnancy. We can and we should be able to supplement the yo in a much more controlled fashion in late pregnancy than we can in, in early lactation.
0: Tommy, I digress slightly like, and will come back to the overcondition condition bit in a minute. One of the other impacts that will inherently be there in flocks in terms of colostrum production is the age of the yews. So our first lamers relative to older So There will be a bit of a difference there in their colostrum production potential. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So if you look at those first lamers, let them be, lambs in particular, are hoggets, they're still developing, they're still growing, you know, so they have greater nutrient demands uh, per unit of feed intake than the animals uh, that are three and four, four years old. And we see this following through in, into milk production as well. So we certainly do need to, A, make sure we have our feeding programs for those younger sheep absolutely correct. And, and B, you know, be ready to intervene if some of those animals don't have uh, sufficient colostrum produced uh, at birth.
0: Tommy, just to bring that to the other end of the scale, older ewes and flocks, particularly the very old ewes, that may be compromised in other ways, will they have an impact on colostrum reduction?
1: Anything that's going to compromise feed intake is going to compromise uh, co- colostrum production because feed intake is how the animal gets the energy into the body and colostrum production is one of the ways it, it puts the energy or, or the nutrients out. So if you have problems with dentition or if you also have maybe suffered a little bit of liver damage from liver fluke or if you are lame and they're not able to access the feed as, as you would like, all of those are going to impact on feed intake, which are going to knock on and have impacts on colostrum production. But the fact that a yo is old by itself is not a major challenge, but if that age is impacting some other way that the Yo is functioning, like I say, let it be teeth or, or, or persistently poor condition, then that will have a knock-on impact on on colostrum production.
0: And they're all issues, really, should be identified for extra attention. Anyway, look, I know you've done some work on this previously, but there are some breed differences in colostrum production as well.
1: Yeah, no, there are some breed differences which exist. And I suppose the first thing I'll say before I get, in, get into the breed differences, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of, you know, comparing one breed to, to another. Um, the first thing to get right is nutrition, regardless of what breed of sheep you have. Having a breed that's predisposed to greater colostrum production won't mean a thing if they're not fed correctly. But in, in our in our work, we, we've looked at, you know, we've looked at Suffolk Cross and, and, and Texel Cross, you know, the primary, the, the most common uh, commercial yews and lowland flocks. We've looked at the Beltlayer and the Tlen. And, and the mule. And the mule does come out a little bit on the negative side of the graph when it comes to colostrum production immediately after birth. So when we do our research work with colostrum here, and what we would do is we'd measure colostrum production one hour after the yogi is birth, 10 hours later, sorry, 10 hours after the yogi is birth, and 18 hours after the yoga is birth. And what we see consistently over 25 years at this stage is that the mule or the Leicester cross yoke, but predominantly the mule yoke, she will have lower colostrum production immediately after birth. So in that one hour window immediately after she gives birth. But once we get to 10 hours and 18 hours, we see no difference um, in colostrum production at that stage. And when we when we monitor lamb performance, which is indicative of milk yield, there's certainly no issue with the milk yield of the of the mule yoke thereafter. It's just that initial window in the immediate period uh, after birth. Now, if we were to measure those YOs those at two hours or three hours as opposed to one, I don't know if that difference would exist.
0: And lately, Tommy, like every other trait, there's probably as much variation within the breed as there is between the breeds. Yeah,
1: that that's why I, I said at the start, I'm not I'm not a big fan of comparing one breed to the next because there is huge within and, and between breed variation. But on this particular one, you know, we have seen it consistently being an issue with the mules over the years.
0: Just something to be conscious of. Look, if we just come back to your earlier point about your condition, something you raised there was about milk letdown, and I think it's something anyone has been in a lamb shed is fairly familiar with. We've got turns up a lamb, we further fed She's in good condition, has two lovely lambs, and a bag full of milk, but not letting it down. Apart from over me what's the process there that prevents that milk letdown in that initial couple of hours? Yeah, so
1: this is, I suppose, where, where I, I get a, a little bit more take. Tech- uh, and hopefully still, still make it somewhat understandable. But when the O is pregnant, there's a hormone produced in the, in, in the, in, 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 in the pregnancy process called progesterone. And progesterone is a hormone uh, which maintains pregnancy. So what we see when, or what happens at a, at a, at a cellular level in the O, uh, in the run-up to actually giving birth, those progesterone levels start to drop. Um, and that's the signal for, for the O to, to give birth progesterone is also the hormone that inhibits milk production. You know, so that it, it basically, that's, that's why the yo doesn't start letting down milk or one of the reasons why the yo doesn't start, start to let down milk before she gives birth. With overconditioned conditioned as, as, as I mentioned earlier, what happens is that there is fat laid down in the liver. And the liver is the, is the organ in the body which actually takes the progesterone out of circulation. So if that liver is, is, is over fat or is not functioning properly, the rate at which it can clear to progesterone is slowed down. So there is actually progesterone remains in the system for longer than it otherwise would if that yo was in the optimum condition. And I'm sure people are saying, well, if the yo has given birth, then the progesterone is gone. Yes, to some extent, but the threshold uh, for progesterone clearance for birth is not as as low as the threshold for progesterone to allow the yo to commence milk production so basically the yo has to get rid of more of the progesterone to let down milk than she does to allow her
0: to lamb i mean fascinating insight now look there's another element is we're talking a lot about feeding for colostrum in some ways we're also setting that you up for early lactation so by having her in suitable condition fed right to produce enough colostrum we're also priming her for higher levels of milk yield during early lactation
1: yeah absolutely so you know again there's lots of factors which affect the yo's ability to, to produce milk and some of them are genetic and and you know some of them are linked to later size actually and and how the yo's with with higher later size are more um i suppose better prime during pregnancy to produce milk and then nutrition is obviously a, a key factor as well and the nutrition again comes in, comes in here in 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 two spaces here and i think firstly it's how the mammary gland develops so and every farmer knows this, when the O is dry, the mammary gland, you know, reduces in size. And the secretory tissue or the actual cells in that mammary gland or in the elder that produce the milk, they they die off for want of a better description. And those secretory cells, they need to reproduce or are to be laid down again in, in the latter stages of pregnancy. And obviously, that requires energy and protein. And if the intake of those nutrients is below optimum, then the mammary gland doesn't develop to the same extent so it, it really doesn't matter how we feed the after lambing that she just won't have enough secretory cells there in the mammary gland to maximize milk production as i've already mentioned with the overconditioned yo some of that space in the mammary gland that would be occupied by secretory cells or milk production cells will be occupied by fat cells and again that yo won't be able to optimize or maximize the milk production that's that's the first part of the equation the second piece of the equation then is around condition and yos being above or below optimum condition. And again, if the yo is below optimum condition, and I would be saying around the body condition score of three or maybe slightly higher at the point of lambing, if she's below that level, the amount of energy reserve that she has to produce milk is is insufficient to allow her to maximise her milk production. So basically, if if you view that that body condition reserve and Body condition is basically fat. Most of it is, is, is comprised of fat. If you view that as money in the bank, and if you view early lactation as, as the time when the O hits on hard times and she needs to borrow that money from the bank, if that money is not in the bank, if that condition is not there, the O is not able to, not able to make that borrowing, and herself and particularly her land performance suffers as a result.
0: I think, Tommy, one clear thing that comes out here is there's a window there that we need to manage condition right away way throughout the year. To keep them in that optimal condition. And it is, in most flocks, it's only a small percentage that drift either side of it.
1: Yeah, and it's it, it's about having, them, it's not about having them in what some people call good condition. And unfortunately, usually, when I hear the term good condition, it means fat. It's about having them in the correct condition as opposed to this term good condition.
0: Tommy, fascinating insight from the old perspective. We might catch up with you again next week and we'll look at Clostrum from the land perspective. Really appreciate your insights on that though. Thanks, Kieran. Okay, we're going to finish the episode up at this point. As Tommy is highly how we manage you has big influence on various aspects of performance, but in particular, Gloucester production. Tommy's going to join us again next week when we're going to look at classroom from a land perspective, which I'd encourage you to listen into as it's very timely and relevant. That's it for me for this episode. Again, for any updates on the sheep program, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chugger Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and listen in to any of our episodes.